but for me, this feels a little bit like home. I just moved here about four or five months ago, and I was from Houston, Texas, originally, and go Astros. Um, any Yankees fans? Any Yankees fans? Good, good. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Yeah, not anymore, right? Um, anyways, uh, so I was a young adult pastor there, so this, feel, this feels good. This feels natural for me, so it's, it's good to be, just be with you and dive into this wonderful topic. I like Jesus, but God seems mean. Um, and it's, it's a fair point. You know, a lot of times we'll start to have questions and wrestle with, you know, there all these Old Testament passages where God maybe seems mean, and there's war going on, there's violence. What, what does this look like? But I really like Jesus. Jesus is nice. He's peaceful and all these things. So what I'd love to do is just dive into this a little bit, and I'm going to open up a little bit of group participation here at the beginning, okay? And then I'm going to talk and ramble for a few hours, and then we'll come to an end. That sound okay? Good, good, good. Okay, so when you hear the word God, just when you hear the word God, what are some thoughts that come up to your head? Now, think about it for yourself. Maybe think for friends that maybe aren't here, that maybe are outside of church. What are some thoughts that come up to your head when you hear the word God? Go. Somebody shout it out. Yahweh. Yahweh. Okay. Okay. Somebody went to Sunday school. Good job. Good job. Good job. <laughs> hey, who else? Who else? Who else? <laughs> okay. No more Hebrew words. Uh, let's, let's keep on moving. <laughs> Just. Okay. Keep going. Shout out. Love. What's that in the back? Big, okay. <laughs> Omniscience. Beard, okay, that's good. Yeah. Okay. How about some non-Sunday school answers? What, what else do you think about when you hear the word God? Wrath, thank you. <laughs> Finally, they said it, gosh. <laughs> what was that? Judgmental, yeah. Far away, good, good. Old. Destruction of Jerusalem. Okay, no more from that corner. Uh, okay, okay, let's shift a little bit now, okay? So, so that's, that's when we hear the word God. Now let's go to just when we hear the word Jesus, okay? Go. Love. Like first one off, good job. Grace. Sacrifice. Suffered. Savior. Acceptance, salvation. What was that? Peacemaker, thank you, thank you, thank you. Acceptance, lamb, friend. So no wrathful? Nobody? Nobody wants to speak up for Jesus' wrathful, judgmental? Nothing? In the temple? Sure, sure. Making that whip, right? Um, so it's, it's really interesting, right? So when, when we think about just the word God by itself, it, we can get to some of these things, right? We might even think about, I think Adam last week showed some people from a church called Westboro holding up signs that said, God hates and fill in the blank, right? So we, it's easy for our, in our heads to start to separate God and have some of these thoughts that are angry, wrathful, judgmental, violence, destruction. But yet we get to Jesus, and maybe, maybe after a little while we can get to the temple or some other spots. But for the most part, those words don't pop up, do they? But here's the interesting thing. All of us in this room, uh, if we're being good Trinitarian Christians, which I'm going to help us be tonight, don't worry. I'll tackle the Trinity tonight. No big thing, right? We're okay. Um, we hold to the fact that Jesus is God, right? And so I think, let me dissect a little bit of maybe I think what's gone in my head and maybe what's gone on in your head through all this, okay? So we think about God and we rarely begin to think about 
what does this mean in this Trinitarian essence of God who we believe in? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus being Son, right? I think often what we do is we take the Father portion of the Trinity and we, and we attach that to God. Is that fair? Is that fair? Yeah? And, we, and so then we start to flow into all these thoughts. And, and so we kind of separate Jesus and Father. Father's just kind of this angry one, right? who does all these things, and then Jesus kind of steps in the middle. He's like, whoa, 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 they're my friends. They're my friends, Dad. It's okay. It's okay. They're with me. And then from then on, you know, Dad's all like, oh, okay, sure, and he becomes nice. I think a little bit that's what happens in our heads, and it's not your fault. Uh, there's a lot of things that have worked into this in my own life and, and in yours. Uh, there's songs, you know, songs that we sing in worship sometimes. The wrath of God was satisfied. Uh, that's a horrible line. If you ever a worship leader, David, if you hear this, take that out. Um, it should say the love of God was satisfied, right? John 3.16, right? The wrath of God. God so loved the world. It's not God so hated the world that he sent Jesus, right? God was so angry at you and me that he sent Jesus. Now, every time when we come back to this, it's always about love. But yet, we have these issues where when we hear this word God, we separate it out from Trinitarian thought, from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We make it into some uh, really, is it fair to say that we think of God as Zeus? Is that okay? Is that, is that fair? I heard beard over here. I heard beard, right? So you probably maybe think of like some big, large being sitting on like some kind of a throne, pretty muscular, right? We don't, we don't really ever think of God as fat, right? It's always muscular. Uh, big white beard flowing down and has lightning bolts, right? Yeah, yeah. When you sin, God throws a lightning bolt down, right? Uh, there's literally people in this world that will say that, uh, that natural events are God's judgment upon the earth, uh, that tornadoes are God's fingerprints coming down and judging people. I'm here to tell you that's wrong. Um, that's hurtful theology. If you read somebody that says that, I'm not going to name any names. I'll tell you afterwards if you want to know. Uh, it is wrong and hurtful. Jesus himself addresses this uh, in a passage in Luke. I'll find my spot. I'll find my spot. Uh, in Luke, where some people come up to Jesus and they're talking to him about a few different things. And there were Galileans who had been murdered in the temple. And their blood was used to make sacrifices to other gods. And then at the same time, there was a tower that just by natural coincidence had fallen and killed some people. So people come and approach Jesus about it. And he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think that you were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And there perish, Jesus is talking about the way in which we work our whole being and our whole lives. So everybody's going to die, and God doesn't just come down and judge people just every so often and say, oh, you were doing so good, but you just really messed up today. You flipped off that person while you were driving, and so here's a tower. Bye. Um, these things, this is not the way and character of God that Jesus teaches. In fact, he goes up against that in his current culture. Jesus goes up against a lot of this in his current culture. You might remember the blind man in John chapter 9. His disciples come up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Just automatically assuming that the reason he's blind is because of somebody's sin. And Jesus turns that completely on his head for the next chapter and upsets a lot of people who had been thinking that way. 
And so we have to start to face the fact that if we believe all those things you said about Jesus, then they're also true about the Father and the Spirit. Don't believe me. That's okay. You barely know me. You've met me for a few seconds. You don't even know if I have a seminary degree. I do. Um, But let's listen to Jesus' words, okay? So in Luke chapter 10, in verse 21, Jesus says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So here Jesus has a very bold statement. He says that, If you want to know who the Father is, I'm showing you. The Father's character, what the Father does, is in me, and I am in him. Uh, He he goes on to say, The blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And there he's talking about the revelation of God's character and God's kingdom that Jesus is bringing about on earth. So we're doing good. You still with me? You awake? Yeah, yeah, a little bit? Okay, good. Um, So Jesus is stating here that this bold statement, the Father and I are one. We're connected. In John chapter 5, he says it again. He says, uh, he's talking to some of the religious leaders. They're on him about the Sabbath and about rest. And Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. (laughs) Now, there's a fun statement, right? Uh, We we, uh, we align judgment with, uh, with the God word. But here's Jesus saying, actually, the Father's kind of given that on to me, and I'm going to take care of it all. But most of the time, too, when we get to words like judgment and these other words, uh, we, need to, we need our Hebrew scholar in the back to help us uh, decipher some of these words and, and what are some of the true meanings. Often, like the word repent, often used by Jesus, really just means to turn and to go in the right direction. Uh, we think of it as kind of a very uh, negative churchy word, you know, the old lady in the back seeing you walk in and saying, mm, 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 mm. They just need to repent, they do. I saw what they did on Friday night, and it was unholy. Uh, Maybe that's just me. I'm from Houston, so I've had that experience. Uh, A lot of old ladies said that about me a lot of times. Um, uh, And so we we get these words in our head that start start to take us there places too. But here, Jesus is bringing it back again, saying, whatever you think the Father is, look at me, and you will see the Father. He goes on to, uh, people want to kill him for that, by the way. Um, and then in John chapter 14, he takes some of the biggest statements into this. Uh, he's sitting with his disciples. This is right before, uh, this is after Jesus washed their feet. They are about to have the supper together. Jesus is talking with them. It's his last conversations with him before he goes to the cross, right? And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're, where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answers, and you've probably seen this places, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus is saying, you've seen the Father because you've seen me. Philip said, Philip wasn't quite getting this yet, uh, Lord, show us the Father, 
and that will be enough for us. Jesus looks up at him and says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Is it fair to say that Jesus, not me, not Keith standing up here, but Jesus believed that his character and who he was reflected the Father? Yes, good job. Good, good, good. Helps me keep going to my sermon if you agree with me. Thank you. Um, by the way, these are some difficult conversations. And if you do have any disagreements, I'm happy to discuss afterwards and talk through some of these harder points. I am going to talk about Old Testament and some violence in a few minutes. And so I know those can be hard conversations. And so I'm happy to talk afterwards, okay? That, that's my disclaimer. I do have a time limit. I have a really cute two-year-old that I want to get home and say goodnight to. Um, so if I just peace out. I'll leave my email and we can talk more, okay? I like coffee. We can do coffee. Anyways, back to my sermon. Okay, here we go. Uh, So Jesus is saying, here I am, character of the Father revealed to you right here and right now. He goes on to not just say uh, that this is true of the Father, but true of the Spirit, which he will send when he's not there. He, he says bold and radical statements in the next three chapters. If you just want some fun reading later on in your life or this week, go to John 14 through 17 and see what Jesus says about himself, the Father, and then our relationship to that. Uh, he goes to say things like, I'm not going to leave you orphaned. Our relationship's not going to be the same as it has been after tonight, but I'm not going to leave you orphaned. I will send God's Spirit with you. And now we know the fruit of God's Spirit, right? We all know it. We could say it together. God's spirit is anger, wrath, malice, vengeance, cursing, and slaughter. These are the fruits of the spirit. Go and be filled with them, right? Oh, no. Sorry. Sorry. I got that backwards. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, selflessness, and self-control. So it's interesting because here's Jesus again saying, I'm going to send the spirit. And what do we know the spirit for? These good things. Love, joy, peace, patience. So in this beautiful few chapters, Jesus pours out this Trinitarian thought that he is connected wholly with the Father, that they're in union doing their work, that everything that he does is in line with the Father, and that the Spirit will come and continue that work in each of us. Jesus believes this so much so that later on, he actually pulls the disciples really close And I don't think Jesus had coffee breath at this moment, or I hope not for the disciples, because it says that he breathes upon them. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're filled with the Spirit of God. And the disciples from that moment on are marked by what? Living out that life that we just said, of fruitfulness, of looking like Jesus, of carrying this out, of when faced with uh, tough and difficult situations, holding this line of peace and love. They weren't ever perfect people. But they were lives, their lives were marked by the character and formation of the Father, Son, and the Spirit in their lives. So if this is who God is, right, if we can, if we can actually say this is who Jesus is, this is who we think Jesus' character is, therefore we're going to take this step with you, Keith, and say this is who the Father is, then where did we go so far astray into thinking some of these thoughts? I think it's a fair question for us to ask of, what are the stories that we're holding on to? 
what are the stories that are forming this? If you want to read more on this, uh, there's a great book. I always recommend a few books while I'm here. Uh, my first one is The Magnificent Story by James Bryan Smith. Uh, this is a great book that goes into detail talking about uh, the things I've talked about here, talking about how God's story of all of creation is this good and beautiful thing. Highly recommend it if you need a extra reading. And then also, if you're uh, in a minute, we're going to talk about the Old Testament, how that interplays, uh, and I'll give you a book reference there, okay? If I forget, somebody say, hey, Keith, what was that other book, okay? Can you do that? Yeah, yeah? Everybody nod your head. Yep, okay, good, 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 good. Water. Okay. Um, so, one thing that, uh, that James Brown Smith points out in his book is that some of us have been told the wrong stories of God from our very earliest beginnings of being told about God, right? And so he talks about his example of he was a young college student, and he was starting to come to faith in Christ. And it had mostly just started by somebody giving him a Bible. He starts reading the Bible. He starts just falling in love with Jesus, and he's reading it, and, and he just thinks, yeah, I, I really am believing this. I, th I, think, I, I think I'm a, a Christian. And he runs into a guy named Fred, and Fred becomes friends with him, and Fred starts to ask him about how he came into faith. And Fred goes on to then uh, basically tell him how he did it wrong. And that really what he needed to focus on was that God had a ledger on all of the sin that James had ever done. And that he was keeping track of it all. And that every time he sinned, he kept it and he marked it down. And, he was, and there was punishments next to that of what was going to happen to him uh, for it. And that he needed to ask forgiveness for God over and over and over again for that to keep that ledger wiped clean. Now, these, uh, these stories about God tend to fall into a camp. Uh, that we might identify with shame and scaring gospels, right? Uh, you might have heard this. Uh, I, this is how I first heard the good news. It was uh, not so much good news. It was scary news, right? Uh, hey, so there's this really bad place called hell, and you're a really bad person. Um, you may not realize it, but you are. Um, and because of that, uh, you're going to go there one day unless you accept Jesus. Uh, it's really easy. Jesus just loves you, and he wants you to accept him. And so do that, and then you won't have to worry about that. When you die, you'll be, go to heaven, and we'll float on clouds, and you get a harp. It's really fun. Um, uh, I might exaggerate some of those points, but probably you've heard a message like that about what the gospel is. Well, that's a shortened, horrible version that shows up nowhere in the Bible, shows up nowhere in the early church. Uh, it really comes into later life after uh, the Protestant Reformation and some, uh, and, some, and some of those decades later. Really gets steamed with, uh, well, I hate to name names, uh, but really gets steamed with uh, some of our, our forefathers in our own denominations and other places, uh, revivalist preaching, all those fun things. But that's not the good news. And what happens is it just shrinks and just narrows who God is. It does make God into this kind of wrathful person who kind of almost sends Jesus to the cross as like divine child punishment. I'm not really sure, uh, but it doesn't look pretty, whatever it is, when you link into that story. And it's what starts to take us down roads to say, yeah, God is angry and wrathful, and that's why we needed Jesus to step into it. Enter the full story of Scripture and what I'd like to present to you as the true good news that Jesus presents, right? It's interesting, uh, when Jesus shows up in each of the Gospels, what it says is that he begins to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God come near or at hand. And what Jesus always preaches about is about life, about freedom and victory over sin and evil that is keeping us enslaved and oppressed and keeping us from being children of God. 
And it's this beautiful story that Jesus pulls from all of Scripture. Now, uh, I'm going to go really quickly here through the end, so just hold on really tight, okay? I'm so sorry, but here we go. Uh, So this text is old. Can we agree on that? Uh, Some parts of it thousands of years old. Uh, And we don't always know how to read it perfectly and correctly. Uh, It's just a true statement. Uh, That's why there's so many different versions, because there's so many different ways that certain Hebrew and Greek works can go, but we do our best to get into it. Uh, We do our best to dive into the text and to understand it. If you want to be a little helped in this, um, go to a book, here it is, Reading Scripture with Western Eyes. So it's fair to say that we, living in the Bay Area today, read it differently than people that read it living in Israel in the time when it was first being written. Fair? Fair? For instance, um, they had cities that they had to build walls around because they were afraid that invading people were going to come sweeping in and kill them and slaughter them at night. Have you seen any walls in Menlo Park? I haven't. I mean, a few around some houses for sure in Atherton and whatnot. Uh, but we, we, we live in a different setting in a different time. And so it's helpful for us to go back and hear those things for the first part. Uh, the, now, as you move through this text, I'd love you just to think about it in this whole beautiful story, right? In the beginning, God, the creator, created this beautiful thing. It was really beautiful. Imagine like a great painter just doing the best work of art you've ever seen, right? Or if you're like me, a chef making the best plate of food that you've ever seen. You're like, wow, that's just amazing and delicious. The creator did a wonderful and good thing. But then along the way, something got onto it. Um, Some nastiness, some dirt, some grime, some evil, some sin in the case of our world. Now, God didn't just say, ah, let's just wipe it all off and redo it. God said, no, I have a plan to redeem this whole thing. And the story that we see throughout all the Old Testament is God's working towards that redemption story. In Genesis 12, he says to Abraham, I will bless the whole world through you and in you and in your seed. And so then as we begin to move through the Old Testament, we see God holding his faithfulness to this promise that he's going to bless the world, redeem the world, bring the world back to the state of it was in the garden, which was beautiful. God, the creator, with his people, with Adam and Eve in the garden, walking, eating together. And so the promise carries on through Abraham, and we see some real nastiness there, right? We see wars. We see violence. We see a protective God carrying out his faithfulness to protect these people, even when they didn't want it, even when they pushed and go astray. We see God try to rescue them and redeem them. We see the Exodus story, right, which is this beautiful story of enslavery and then freedom and victory away. And it's that story which Jesus then carries out in his own life. Jesus carries out the own Exodus for us. He comes into the world, into the mess, and says, God's not just going to be angry and destroy all of this, but God is coming into the world, Emmanuel. God is coming into it, incarnating, being part of the world, living amongst us, living the very lives that we live, so that, so that, we can come back into union with God. Jesus' message is about union back with the Father. It's, his, it's what he prays and hopes for in his last few words. Let them be united with me as I am united with you. There's a lot more in the story there. The end segment, too, a lot of people get really scared about, right? Anybody ever ha- read Left Behind and got scared about Revelation? Huh? You're afraid, like, man, I got to make sure I wear clean underwear today in case the rapture comes. I don't want to be left behind. 
yeah, that's all really bogus too. Uh, go burn your left behind books. I don't care. Uh, it's bad stuff. Uh, but the beautiful ending of Revelation is God setting all things right. God can look a little scary and angry because he sees injustice in the world and wants to set it right. When you see mass shootings, when you see horrible things happen in the world, I hope that you get a little angry. So does God. And he wants to set it all right. And in the end is everything set right. Creation, earth, heaven melted back together. God walking with his people in this beautiful, beautiful city. And this is the hope that we hold on to in Jesus, that we have life now and life forever in God, in Jesus, in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, now, I'll end with this, okay? I'll end with this. Uh, I'm, I'm, way, I'm way over time. Uh, three stories about, that Jesus told, I think, that paint the character of the Father for us, okay? Three stories. Let me just read these, and then I'll conclude, I promise. The story of the lost sheep. A lot of people had come and started to ask Jesus, and he decided to talk with them with these three questions, these three stories. Suppose one of you had 100 sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? When found, you can be sure you would put it across your shoulders, rejoicing, and when you got home, call in your friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me, I found my lost sheep. Count on it, there's more joy in heaven over one person's rescue than over 99 good people and no need of rescue. Or imagine a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and scour the whole house, looking at every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, you can be sure she'll call her friends and neighbors, celebrate with me, I found my lost coin. Count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. Then he said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. And so the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags, left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all throughout that country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry that he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slob, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working at my father's sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful, wonderful time. Of course, Jesus goes on to talk about the older brother and how he didn't really appreciate that very much. But I want to focus on the, those three characters there. The one sheep off lost, the mud, the dirt. The shepherd sees it, gets down in the midst of it, lifts it up, and celebrates that it's found. The lost coin and the lady 
flipping over her couch, looking in all the cushions until she finds that one coin. The father, whose arms were wide open, ready to receive his son. These are the images and the character of God to you today and every day. Yes, God guides. Yes, God leads. And at times things get messy, mostly our fault. But at the end of the day, it's these pictures of love, of waiting with arms wide open. God saying to us, come on in. Welcome to my kingdom. Welcome to life here and now. And the words of Dallas Willard, because I work at Menlo. I got to quote Dallas Willard at once in my sermon. <laughs> Eternity is now in session. That is the good news of God's love poured out for us now and for all eternity that God wants to be with you here and now in love and patience and kindness and to form you into that very character. Let's pray. Yeah! Father, we just thank you for this day. Uh, we just thank you for this time. We thank you that, uh, that you do love us. That though uh, at times we focus often on hard and painful things, Help us to see your love and your grace. Help us to navigate the challenging aspects of faith, of life, of the world around us, but to navigate it in your guidance as our teacher, as our present help. We remember the words of Jesus, that God, you have not left us orphaned, that we are filled with your spirit to be taught and guided in your love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.